We have been uh, in a series called Amplify, seeking to amplify the gospel in our day. And we've referred to the mission statement of this church a number of times, which you have obviously memorized, to know Jesus Christ personally and to carry on his ministry. That's a great mission statement for this church, for any church. And we've been talking about five words that talk about ways of doing that together as disciples of Jesus. Uh, You've memorized them, right? Exalt, evangelize, engage, equip, and empower. Just spend some time in the lobby and look at the banners hanging from the ceiling or stand in the stairwell. Don't block anyone, but there they are, the five words gracing the stairwells. You can even pick up this little accordion here. It's at the info desk. You can uh, look at this while you're on the sky train, read the other side, come to an understanding of what this means for us as a church, what it means for you personally. So if we're going to walk in the direction of these five words, live out that mission statement, we need leadership, we need oversight. And here at Willingdon, we have something called eldership. How did we ever land on eldership? Well, who could answer that question for us? No one better than Pastor Herb Neufeld, who was pastor here from 1971 to 1986. So welcome here, Pastor Herb. Pastor Herb is going to share the story with us. Great to be back with you all here at Willingdon Church. It's hard to believe that in 1971, 46 years ago, it was our privilege to come and pastor this great congregation. At that time, we had about 300 people if we counted everyone. One of the things we introduced at that time was the small home Bible study fellowship group ministry. And as that ministry grew and new people came, we soon realized that we had a critical need for more leaders. At that time, our church operated with a church board called a church council, made up of the chair people of each of the various ministry committees. And when they reported, it was great to hear what was going on, but we seldom had time to seriously focus on the spiritual needs and the mandate of our Lord to win our neighbors and friends for Jesus Christ. I'd wanted to introduce the elder model to the congregation when I first came, but like most new things, it was received somewhat coolly. And I realized that Jesus is the head of the church and that sometimes our time is not his time. And as we waited on him, we discovered that faithful is he who has promised. In 1977, we decided to have a leadership retreat and we invited our Bible study leaders, our church council, the deacons, their spouses, and we also invited Dr. Earl Rodmacher, who was the president of Conservative Western Baptist Seminary. And I asked him if he would speak to us on two short addresses on biblical leadership. And when he began to teach the word and emphasize that there are two leadership groups in the New Testament, basically, deacons, elders. He spoke to us about the ministry of deacons on Friday night. Saturday morning, he spoke to us about elders and the high calling of those who've been called to shepherd the church. 
He excused himself around 10 o'clock, and what happened next was nothing short of the God's wonderful, miraculous presence by his Holy Spirit. In the next two hours, we came to an amazing consensus that we needed to realign our church leadership model to be closer to that which the New Testament describes for us. After lunch, we worked on a strategy of how we would share this new concept with the membership. And we agreed on several things. First of all, I would preach a series of sermons entitled Rethinking the New Testament Church. Second, we said we'll work with our Bible study leaders and give them resources so that they can help discuss the sermon and add to the questions that might arise from the people. And we were so grateful for what God began to do during those next months. In March 1978, we had probably the largest membership meeting we'd ever had. By now, we'd put together some of the proposals that we adopt an elder model where leaders are discerned according to the New Testament guidelines, and that we establish deacon committees that would be led by deacons who are discerned according to the New Testament requirements. God was gracious, and the overwhelming majority of people endorsed that recommenda those recommendations. God raised up godly leaders in the days to come, and he's continued to raise up leaders since that time. And it's been amazing what God has done in this congregation as he's used his body to bring glory to Jesus Christ. Praise him. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Herb. I am uh, thankful for Pastor Herb, for his leadership, for his example. I'm thankful for his investment in young leaders, and I'm grateful that today that we get to pray for some young leaders that God is raising up here at Willingdon. I really wish I could download Pastor Herb's voice. <laughs> I think there's an app for that, and I'm going to find it. But uh, we're grateful for Pastor James Vanderveen, who has been pastor uh, for High Voltage here. High Voltage is Willingdon's ministry to grades 6 and 7. He's going to be transitioning to a new role at Willingdon. Uh, he'll be the WSB pastor. He'll come alongside students that are studying at Willingdon School of the Bible, help them with their studies. He'll also teach and do a whole bunch of other stuff with Willingdon School of the Bible. He'll also be a resource to our preaching team. So, so thankful for Pastor James and the new role that he's uh, transitioning into. So, can't replace Pastor James, but we found the next best, Brody. No, Brody is awesome. And he's going to be uh, stepping into high voltage, providing leadership uh, starting in August. So we're thankful for Brody Lowen, and we're thankful for Pastor James, and we just want to pray, thank God for them and pray for them in this moment. They love Jesus, they love the Word of God, and they love the church. So Pastor Herb will pray for them, right. and uh, I believe Elder Paul Lee. Run, Paul. You're young. <laughs> and uh, we'll pray for these young men. Father, what a great privilege it is to stand here today in your presence. Mm -hmm. 
and to recognize your amazing grace in our lives. Not only have you called us to be children of our Lord and Savior, but you've also called us to serve and to bear fruit for your glory. And you've promised that whatever we ask in your name, you will do it. So I pray, Father, for our brother James and for our brother Brody. May they know the filling of your Holy Spirit, the gifting that they'll need. And Lord, as they abide in you and your word abides in them, may they rejoice as they share together in bringing glory to your name and helping people grow and come to maturity in Christ and others coming to receive you as their Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, Father, we thank you. By your grace, we gather here just to worship you, to thank you. Lord, you are wonderful provision that your co-brother James and Brody will be in this place. They're going to be your servant. Lord, we ask for you, uh, in Jesus' name, we ask you for your uh, Holy Spirit to fill these two young men, that you strengthen them, you give them the wisdom, and your true words will fill in this, ro- in this room, and your disciples will be multiplied and multiplied. We thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We pray. Thank you, Pastor Herb. Thank you, Elder Paul. In the New Testament, Paul was Jewish. Now he's Chinese. It's amazing. We're in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And uh, the message that we're going to study here was and is a message to maybe not young in terms of age, leaders young in terms of age, but certainly young in the faith. It's a message to the elders of the church. Verse 17, now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. We heard about how eldership began at Willingdon. How did it begin in Ephesus? How did the church come to be? Well, Paul, this is actually a very exciting story. You can read it in Acts chapters 18 through 20. Paul, on his third missionary journey, he traveled through what is today Turkey. He traveled through Galatia provinces, Galatia, Phrygia, and he strengthened the disciples, those that had come to faith during his first journey. He arrived in Ephesus in the year 52 AD. Ephesus at that time was one of the most important cities in the Roman Empire, the fourth largest city after Rome, Antioch of Syria, and Alexandria. It was a financial center. It was the most important seaport on the western coast of Asia. It was a religious center. People worshipped Greek and Roman gods. There was on the outskirts of Ephesus a massive temple to Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the world. So Paul arrived in this important city, Ephesus, in 52 AD. He spent the first three months of his time there in the Jewish synagogue, debating with the Jews. There was a lot of resistance there. There was some hostility. And so he transitioned to the hall of Tyrannus. 
and he taught in that hall publicly for two years. While he proclaimed the gospel, a lot of miracles happened. People were healed. People were delivered from demonic oppression. In fact, one of the things that happened was that people burned their books. <laughs> they, 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 according to Acts chapter 19, they burned books worth 50,000 pieces of silver. You see, the silversmiths, they would make shrines to the goddess Artemis. They made money off of that. And when they saw that the gospel was having such a huge impact on the city of Ephesus, they were concerned about their business, that they were on the way to financial ruin. They also understood that the cult to Artemis was going to implode. And so they stirred up a riot. And Paul had to move on. Paul left Ephesus and he traveled to Macedonia. He spent some time in Macedonia and then went down to Greece for the winter, spent three months there. After the winter months, he traveled back through Macedonia, and his intent was to go all the way to Jerusalem because he wanted to get there by Pentecost. On the way, uh, sailing past the western coast of Asia, he decided to pass by Ephesus and stopped in Miletus. And there in Miletus, 30 kilometers south of Ephesus, he called for the elders of the church at Ephesus. So Acts chapter 20 is Paul's farewell speech to these elders, to these leaders that are young in the faith. It's a word of exhortation. What will he say to them? You see, the church faces spiritual challenges. These new believers, they they might mix their new faith in Jesus with the old religions. They face economic challenges. What often happened in the Roman Empire was that those that participated in trade guilds, they had to worship the god or goddess of that trade guild. And, of course, the new believers, they would be committed to Jesus. Those that worshipped only Jesus were sometimes ostracized from the trade guilds. How would they continue to do business? There were social challenges because in the church, all were welcome, rich, poor, free, slaves, there was the danger of division. So what will Paul say to these leaders? What's important? Acts chapter 20, verse 18. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And then drop down to verse 33, to the end of his message. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's interesting that at the beginning of the speech and at the end, Paul focuses on character. What is to characterize the elders? He says in verse 18, you yourselves know how I lived among you. Paul is known 
by them. He lived among them. He encourages them to follow his example. William J. Larkin, he comments on this text and he writes, the character and manner of ministry is as important as the message. The character and manner of ministry is as important as the message. Paul, he not only proclaimed the gospel, he lived it among the Ephesian believers. What would the elders at Ephesus have seen in Paul? He writes in verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. So Paul, when he talks about who he is, his identity, his calling, he talks about being a servant of Jesus. He describes himself as a slave, as a bondservant of Jesus. That's his primary allegiance. He says in verse 22 that he is going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to him there. Constrained, it means bound by, taken captive by. So Paul, he walks in submission to Jesus, and he's led by the Holy Spirit, constrained by the Holy Spirit. He walks a walk of faith. He doesn't know what lies ahead, but he trusts Jesus. And then he says, serving the Lord with all humility. Jesus, of course, is the one who is gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, he invites people to come to him. He's our example of humility. A person that is humble <laughs> serves others without caring whether he or she is noticed or not. Whatever God has given them, they pass on to others for the good of others. Paul had poured himself out for the Ephesians. He had served with tears, so his involvement is intensely personal. He was known by them. He had a tender heart. He served with trials. His, he was tested severely, but he was willing to suffer. And then in verse 20, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything. He was courageous. Whether in public in the hall of Tyrannus or going from home to home in private, he did not draw back in fear. And then he says in verse 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. These items, they represented status in the ancient world. And so what he's saying to the Ephesian elders is, I did not serve in Ephesus for the money or prestige or for power. These things did not interest me. I served the Lord with humility and with tears and with trials. He worked hard and he was generous. Eldering is hard work. It is about giving. People come with spiritual needs. They come with relational needs, with financial challenges. Eldering is about giving. It is about helping others. So Paul, he reminds the elders at Ephesus of the words of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You won't find these words in the Gospels or in one of Paul's letters. Not all that Jesus said is contained in the New Testament. But certainly these words are the words of Jesus, and they were known to the church. It's more blessed to give than to receive. What Paul says about eldership here in Acts chapter 20, it reflects very closely what he would later write in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, or what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5. Elders are to follow Paul's example, walk in submission to Jesus, constrained by the Spirit, be among the people. Serve with humility. Be courageous. Be willing to suffer. Be generous. Blessing comes from giving. And so, what is to mark an elder or a leader or a disciple of Jesus? Well, the character of God. 
the character of God. These character qualities that Paul speaks of are for every leader, for every disciple. Jim Collins, he's a well-known author who writes books in the area of leadership and business. He's written books like Good to Great, Built to Last, How the Mighty Have Fallen. He did a study a number of years ago together with the team trying to answer a question. How does a good company become a great company? And so they studied a select number of companies, and their studies led them to some surprising conclusions. They realized that the leaders of these great companies were not tied to their own egos. This is what he writes about the leaders of those great companies. Leaders embody a paradoxical mix of personal humility and professional will. They are ambitious, to be sure, but ambitious first and foremost for the company, not themselves. They set, up, they set up their successors for even greater success in the next generation. Leaders display a compelling modesty, are self-effacing, and understated. It almost sounds like you're reading Scripture. Truth is truth wherever we find it. And I pray that leaders at Willingdon, that every disciple at Willingdon will have as their inspiration the example of Jesus, the example of Paul. Paul said, I'm an imitator of Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. May we all imitate the example of Christ. Walk with humility. Walk for the good of the church. Think about the next generation. Paul, first and foremost, he highlights the character of God. And then he talks about his call, verse 24 of Acts chapter 20. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The the language is actually of business accounting. So what Paul says is, I do not hold my life to be of ultimate value. What is of ultimate value is following Jesus, following his calling on my life. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. His commitment is to finish the race marked out for him by Jesus. And finishing well means coming to know Jesus personally and carrying on the ministry that God has entrusted to him. He wants to run right to the finish line. This is what he writes to Timothy. Timothy became the pastor of the church in Ephesus about a decade after this conversation with the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul, he lives with a sense of purpose, with a sense of calling. And his word to the Ephesian leaders, through his example, is, be marked by the call of God. The best thing that the elders can do for this church, the best thing that the elders and pastors can do for Willingdon Church, is to live with a sense of calling. A love for Jesus, for his church, for the growth of the kingdom. Aren't you inspired by people that live with a sense of calling? I remember meeting a, a woman at the foot of the 
the base of the Himalayas. And she had been there for 25 years. This woman, she suffered from a chronic illness. She spent most of her adult life bedridden. Most mission boards would not have sent her on an assignment. But she felt called by God to that region to learn Tibetan dialects, to prepare grammars, so that translators would come after her and translate the scriptures into those Tibetan dialects. I met her after she had been working on these Tibetan dialects for 25 years, and she says, I believe I've finished my work. I can now pass it on to the next generation of translators. Full of passion. Aren't you inspired by people that are called by God? Parents, the best thing that you can give to your children is your sense of calling in life, your love for Jesus, your love for the church, your love for the things of the kingdom. There's a member of our church who is the district manager for BC uh, Emergency Health Services. And so he is the superintendent serving over all of the paramedics in Vancouver and Richmond. Paramedics often feel overworked. Uh, They experience a lot of stress. In fact, right now, the PTSD rate, the post-traumatic stress disorder rate, among paramedics in Vancouver, Richmond, is the same as that of soldiers in Afghanistan. A lot of stress. With the opioid crisis, things are going crazy. So who walks alongside paramedics in Metro Vancouver? And so a member of our church is praying for them. He offers premarital counseling. He actually married a uh, a couple just the other day, a few weeks ago. But he feels called to serve in that way in our city, in our day. You can be at the foot of the Himalayas or you can be in Metro Vancouver. The question is, what is God calling you to? And certainly, at the core of that calling is to know Jesus personally. But it's also to love the church. And wherever we are, no matter what our role in life, is to live for the kingdom, to allow God to use us. Young leaders, have you heard God's calling on your life? Are you filled with passion? Do you live with hope? Do you never have an understanding of what God has for you, how he has gifted you, how he wants to use you? Our world needs young leaders called by God. And Paul writes, he's not finished. Verse 25. And now, behold... I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That word counsel of God, it's, it's the will of God, the plan of God, the purposes of God. Paul says, I taught... I taught you the full scope of gospel truth. I taught publicly in the hall of Tyrannus. I went from home to home. I taught in private. I taught what was profitable. I taught what was to your advantage, what was best for you, what would build you up. I taught repentance toward God, verse 21, the turning from slavery to sin to being surrendered to Jesus. I taught, verse 21, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, a complete trust deposited in Jesus. Verse 25, he says, I proclaimed the kingdom, the reign of God. We were singing about Lord over all. Well, Paul proclaimed the reign of God 
over all things and in the life of each believer. And then Paul says something remarkable in verse 26. I am the innocent of the blood of all of you. Why would he say that? Well, he's referring to Ezekiel 33. And in Ezekiel 33, God entrusts the watchman with a message. He is to warn the wicked. And if the watchman proclaims the message faithfully, then he is innocent of the blood of those who walk away from God. Paul sees himself as a watchman. And he says to the Ephesian elders, I have proclaimed the whole gospel, the whole counsel of God. I am innocent of your blood. I do not have any blood guilt resting on me. I have taught the entirety of God's redemptive plan to you. I have been a good watchman. Every now and then, elders at Willingdon will ask me, are we teaching the whole counsel of God? Are we shrinking back? Are we drawing back in fear of teaching something that God's people need to hear? And so then I review for myself and for them, while we walked through the book of Galatians and we studied what it means to be justified by faith in Jesus alone, we studied what it means to walk in step with the Spirit. You see, we we walked through the first part of Daniel and we studied the sovereignty of God, what it means to stand for God in our Babylon. We walked through the life of Abraham last summer and so a tremendous example of faith We studied what it means to live by faith. We walked through the book of Ephesians. We studied what it means to have our identity grounded in Jesus. What it means to be saved by grace through faith. What's the role of the church? How do we live our faith in every area of life? At the beginning of this year, we walked through the I am statements of Jesus. So important to know who Jesus is in our day. We were at the end of Luke in the, in the Easter season, and so again, focusing on the death and resurrection of Christ, which is right at the heart of the whole gospel story. Over the last number of weeks, we've been walking through these different E-words, trying to come to an understanding of what Jesus has called us to in this day. And this summer, we'll be walking through the life of Moses, a story that's foundational for understanding all of Scripture. And next fall, I won't tell you. It's a secret. But the question is, are we teaching the whole counsel of God? Are we shrinking back in any way? Elders are to be marked by a commitment to the whole counsel of God. And then Paul writes in verse 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained With his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. One thing that we should just notice is that here in these verses, Paul talks about overseers. Sometimes that word is translated bishops. In verse 17, he talks about elders. Sometimes that word is translated presbyters. He talks about overseers caring. The word caring there is actually shepherding. And so you can see that in this passage, you have elders, presbyters, overseers, bishops, pastoring language. These words actually refer to very much the same thing. They're they're used interchangeably. 
Here at Willingdon, we have elders and pastors. That's the language that we use. And if you want to understand how elders and pastors work together, you can pick up this pamphlet, the Willingdon Church Governance Model. It's on the ministry information rack. Elders and pastors aren't the only ones that exercise a shepherding function at Willingdon. There are many small group leaders, discovery leaders, fellowship leaders, people serving on many different levels, shepherding. Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves. So before elders think about the flock, they need to think about themselves, guard their own hearts. Elders can't care for others if they don't care for their own souls. That's one of the reasons why elders are setting up accountability groups, so that elders will have the good, hard conversations that they need to have. Are they walking in love with Jesus? Are they in good relationship with each other, with the church? Are their lives above reproach? Are they caring for the flock of God? Paul says, pay attention to all the flock, not just to your favorites, not just to those that agree with you, to all the flock. Care for the church of God. That word care again, it's just, it's shepherding. So the ultimate example of a shepherd, of course, is Jesus. John chapter 1, 10, sorry. The good shepherd. He leads, he protects, he cares for, he feeds. He knows the sheep by name. What is the motivation for elders to be committed to the church the way Jesus is? Well, look at what Paul says. Care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. This puts the fear of God in me. As an elder at Willingdon, as a pastor at Willingdon, that Jesus purchased you with his own blood. That you were worth God's own blood. That Jesus, God's own son, made the sacred payment to purchase you. That you are God's treasured possession. And so, Eldering, pastoring, it is a sacred work and we must walk with holy awareness and care for the church the way Jesus would. Elders care for the church of God. Jesus loves his church. Why is it so critical that elders care for the church of God? Well, verse 29 says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. There are wolves. And Paul says in verse 30, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, distorted things, perverted things. We see through the letters of Paul to Timothy that men did arise from within the Ephesian church. And they did teach twisted things. They ravaged the church for their own gain. Often the problem comes from within it. And that's what makes it so difficult. We're talking about fellow members. We're talking about relatives. People that come saying, hey, I've experienced a deeper work of God's grace, a deeper revelation of who God is. Often the wolf doesn't come with a fierce face. No, the, it's a gentle, accommodating voice. Paul says they come with the appearance of godliness. And we need to be discerning. I remember sitting with a, a young leader on the outskirts of Ulaanbaatar. Ulaanbaatar is the capital of Mongolia, of course. We were sitting in a gear. It's a round tent and eating beef dumplings and drinking warm salted milk tea. Not that appetizing to me, but much better than fermented horse milk, believe me. So there we were. We were eating 
drinking together, and he talked to me about his heart for the church that he was pastoring on the periphery of Ulaanbaatar. He talked about the wolves in Mongolian society. There, of course, there are wolves, real wolves, in the forests of Mongolia, but he was more concerned about the wolves in Mongolian society. Shamanism was growing. Alcoholism was rampant. There was family dysfunction. And he was also concerned about the wolves within the church. There were pastors falling into immorality and wanting to continue to pasture. There were new doctrines that were emerging. There was a lack of trust among leaders. And he said, Ray, my life verse is Acts 20, verse 28. I want to fulfill my calling. I want to care for the church the way Jesus would. There are wolves in the Canadian forests as well. What are the wolves in Canadian society? Well, we we may think of the worship of self. We may think of our addiction to a comfortable life. We may think about materialism. We may think about the entertainment industry, pornography, just to list a few. There are wolves out there, and elders need to be aware of them and care for the church. But there are also wolves that work within the church. There are some that say that, okay, the Bible, it contains the word of God, but it's not all inspired. Jesus is a wonderful way, but he's not the only way. There are many ways. There's a lack of trust among leaders in Canada as well. And so elders need to care for the church because there are wolves. And how do we face the wolves? Well, listen to Paul again. Verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So these are the words of one who is leaving a church that he has planted, that God by his grace has planted through him. He has taught them the whole counsel of God. He's lived out his calling before them. He's cared for this flock. And at the end of the day, he says, God's people, they're in the hands of God and the word of his grace. He commends them to God and the word of his grace. Elders, no matter where they serve, no matter where the church is located, they always commend the people of God to God himself and to the word of his grace. They acknowledge that the church can only be sustained by God himself, that Jesus is the only one that can serve as the foundation of the church. And they recognize that the word word of God is able to build up the people of God. And provide them with discernment, as Paul would later write in his letter to the Ephesians. So that they wouldn't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. The word reminds believers of their eternal inheritance. That they began this race by God's grace. They were drawn by the Spirit. The word of his grace reminds believers that they were saved by grace. Through faith in Jesus. That they run the race by grace with eyes fixed on Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, and that they will finish the race by God's grace, not because of their own righteousness, but because God is faithful. In 2012, I was invited by the mission that I was serving with to visit a region of China where a missionary had worked uh, 100 years ago. He started in 1912. And so... Missionaries had served in that region for a number of decades and then were forced to leave. And we really had very little information about the church in that region. 
And so I had the joy of going to make a visit. And uh, through uh, a friend in China, communication was made with some of the believers in that region. When I arrived in 2012, some of the believers had gathered. I had read books about the work of this missionary, so I knew some of the history, and I started to ask questions. And it was interesting that the believers, some of the older believers, they remembered the details of this missionary's life. I knew I was in the right place. One of the things that they said, which was kind of interesting, they said that the missionary, he would ride his bicycle through town playing an accordion. Kind of weird, I don't know. But that's what he did. He was known for being an evangelist. He was known for teaching the scriptures, for teaching both men and women. They were very excited to lead me to a building which was the Bible school that the missionary had built with the help of others. Still standing, now a museum. And there was a plaque on the wall which read in Mandarin, built by an American in American church style. What was left? Well, the believers told me about churches in that region. Dozens of churches. They told me that just the Sunday before they had baptized 17 new believers. They told me about how they continued to evangelize, still committed to the Word of God. The Word of God very much alive within them. At the end of our short time together, I, I wanted to leave a verse, so I recited Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And as soon as I had finished reciting that verse, they broke into song, Hallelujah, praise Jesus, he's our Savior. One hundred years after the missionary first arrived, the people of God still praising Jesus, still evangelizing, still committed to the word of God. Elders, leaders, shepherds, whether we are in China or Burnaby, wherever we might be on the planet, we always commend people to God and to the word of his grace. We trust God to do the work that only he can do. We serve Jesus for his glory. And as we serve him, we come to know him personally and we carry on his ministry, the ministry that only his Holy Spirit can do in the lives of people for his glory. May we join Jesus in our day, this day. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to pray. So, Father, we recognize that it is by your grace that we are here. And it is because your Holy Spirit has drawn us to yourself, Jesus, that we have come to know you. And so we pray for the leaders of this church, for the elders, for the pastors. May they reflect God's character. May they understand your calling on their lives. May they Teach the whole counsel of God. May they care for this church, Jesus, the way that you would. And may they commend the church to you and to the word of your grace. And I pray, Lord, that we as disciples, every one of us, may we be transformed into your likeness. May we understand your calling on our lives. May we immerse ourselves in your word and come to an understanding. Lord, may we hunger for your word. May we care for the church. May we care for one another. May we commend each other to you and trust you 
to do the work that only you can do in our lives. Lord, may we live for your glory. May we not miss what you have for us in our day. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.